fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Myanmar, Hungary, and a see you in hell from Chile in the 1970s. Out of Brazil, we have a couple news stories uh, dealing with the family of Jair Bolsonaro, the current president of Brazil, and a, you know, just a major far-right ideologue. Um, Bolsonaro has attempted to take a page out of the Trump playbook uh, by claiming massive voter fraud uh, without any evidence whatsoever. Now, his claim is that the Brazilian uh, election system, which is electronic, is fraudulent. And so, like, you know, all these machines need to have completely different and overhauled systems, right? He's making these claims in advance of the upcoming presidential elections in Brazil, which, if they were held today, Bolsonaro would lose to his likely challenger, Lula de Silva, uh, massively. Uh, Bolsonaro is not popular anymore in Brazil, given his horribly botched uh, handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, and also the expiration of several uh, aid packages and aid programs to uh, people in Brazil as they were dealing with the economic consequences of the pandemic, uh, which expired earlier this year. Bolsonaro is also facing just like the like rapid disintegration of the legitimacy and rationality of his regime. Uh, it's just sort of getting crazier by the day. Um, and his antics are no longer, um, I guess, satisfying to people. Uh, so Bolsonaro's attempt to get this new election law passed failed in the Brazilian Senate, so he will not be able to uh, pursue this exact method towards power. Uh, additionally, his son, Eduardo Bolsonaro, uh, visited the United States. Uh, specifically, he was at a rally uh, run by Mike Lindell, uh, the MyPillow CEO, if you remember him from you know, back in the 2020 election cycle as sort of this like would be pivotal figure in the negotiation of like Trump's supposed victory in 2020. And it's, it's a bizarre year. Uh, anyway, Eduardo Bolsonaro visited um, Mike Lindell at a rally that Lindell held supposedly uh, to talk about this evidence of uh, voter fraud um, and, you know, like cyber attacks and all that sort of stuff. Um, the funny part of this is that uh, Lindell could not pronounce his name, which is not a particularly unusual or even difficult to pronounce name, even for like a very white bread Anglo monolingual monolingual person like Mike Lindell. Uh, it's it's Eduardo. That's not particularly difficult. Bolsonaro is also relatively uh, phonetic when it comes to Portuguese names. I don't really know what his problem was there. Uh, outside of the Americas in Myanmar, uh, that country's new um, military dictatorship is attempting to shore up its power, specifically in this case um, by installing its own representative in the United Nations. Um, now, this is very complicated um, because while the United Nations does give accreditation to diplomats, the United Nations does not recognize governments or countries. Instead, accreditation in the United Nations reflects the recognition of other countries that a government is leg the legitimate government of a country. Now, if that sounds crazy, convoluted, and, you know, kind of tautological, that's because it is. That's just how it works. The issue here is that uh, the question is whether or not or which countries will or not recognize the military government as the government of Myanmar, as opposed to the ousted civilian government in exile, uh, the government of Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, who was a major democratic 
uh, advocate uh, and a, a pusher of democracy in Myanmar when it was under the military dictatorship that had ruled it for several decades. Uh, this kind of controversy about whether or not a government is going to be recognized has happened before in the United Nations. Uh, most notably, uh, this happened uh, in the conflict over the recognition of the People's Republic of China or the Republic of China, uh, Taiwan. Uh, these kinds of uh, conflicts can be really big, really big, explosive diplomatic things. Uh, and in this case, because it deals with a right wing military coup, uh, it's going to be particularly disturbing and interesting as we see which countries are going to side with the right-wing military dictatorship and which countries are going to side with the flawed but not military government of Aung San Suu Kyi. Pivoting to United States news, this is actually a story that deals uh, not exclusively with the United States but also with Hungary. Uh, Tucker Carlson, the big, famous, and uh, extremely ideologically disgusting Fox News host, uh, if we can call it news. Uh, Tucker Carlson's show is like the sort of successor to the uh, Bill O'Reilly kind of like vitriolic talk show. Uh, it's a sort of like um, more or at least not more reasonable, but maybe less unhinged like uh, Alex Jones show like Infowars. Um, Tucker Carlson is an extremely successful right-wing propagandist uh, is the main takeaway from him if you've never heard of him before. And he spent all week last week broadcasting in Hungary, specifically from Budapest. Uh, and that was because he is really citing up to the uh, Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, uh, who you should be familiar with if you're a listener of the podcast. Uh, Viktor Orban is the Prime Minister of Hungary uh, and he's the leader of an extreme right-wing party there. Uh, however, he is not the leader of the most right-wing party in Hungary. Um, Hungary also has like an actual fascist party. Uh, that is in the parliament, but is not the leading party currently. Uh, so Orban is um, essentially overseeing the most like virulently right-wing government uh, that is a supposed democracy in Europe currently. Uh, I guess the other potential contender would be Belarus. Um, Orban's government has recently passed a number of anti-LGBTQ laws uh, and also a lot of anti-immigrant laws and anti-immigrant positions uh, have been taken up by the Hungarian government, uh, which have led them to be in serious legal trouble uh, with a lot of other European countries and also with the European Union itself. Carlson, of course, loves all of this. Uh, he thinks that Orban is the current example of how a right-wing figure should govern. Uh, he's trying to export an, an enthusiasm for the kind of illiberal policies that Orban uh, himself tries to embody and enact in Hungary. Illiberal isn't a word that I made up. Uh, that's the word that Orban uses to describe his uh, policies and his positions. Uh, this is part of a sort of general pivot towards, you might say, or at least interest in Hungary uh, by United States right wing pundits, uh, most notably Steve Bannon. Uh, former Trump advisor and chief of staff uh, has been collaborating with um, Hungarian institutions and also attempting to collaborate with Orban for a sort of like pan-European right-wing coalition. He was doing that back in 2019. That didn't work. But the fact that Orban is like trying to be a presence in the international right is particularly fascinating. Um, it's telling us a couple things. One is that uh, the right-wing is organizing on an international scale. They've never not been doing that, but they're doing that at a particularly high level currently. And the other thing is that the right wing in the United States is actually interested in just like showing this illiberal government 
that is openly anti-queer and openly racist uh, as an example uh, for how they want the United States to be run. And finally, for United States News this week, I want to note that it is the anniversary of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Uh, This was a far-right political rally held in 2017 um, in Charlottesville. This was held in the wake of Trump's victory in the 2016 election and also the ongoing rise, ongoing at the time, of the original formation of the alt-right. Uh, if you listened to my interview with Shane Burley last week, you'll know more about the like different phases that the alt-right has gone through in the United States. This is like the peak of the alt-right as such. Uh, you know, we got like, we got the, the, the older guard members of the alt-right, um, as well as several new rising folks who are still in the movement today. Uh, the rally was preceded the previous night by uh, what's come to be known as the Tiki Torch Rally. Uh, it's a, it was a rally in which a number of white supremacists marched around the city carrying tiki torches uh, in a move uh, aesthetically reminiscent of uh, Nazi marches, Nazis marching through the streets tearing, carrying torches and um, menacing people with them. Uh, it was followed by a full event the next day, uh, which was largely disrupted um, by um, leftist and anarchist counter-protesters. This prompted a right-wing response via violence. Um, specifically, uh, the Unite the Right rally is known uh, for the murder um, by uh, James Alex Fields of Heather Hare. Uh, James Alex Fields Jr. drove his car into a number of counter-protesters uh, this day in history, uh, 2017, and killed Heather Hare and injured several others. Um Fields was a right-wing attendee of the rally. Hare was a member of a counter-protesting organization. Uh, Fields has since been sentenced to life in prison, which he is currently serving. In the aftermath of the rally, the most important thing to note here is that Donald Trump uh, talked openly uh, about the rally. And at first he, you know, condemned the violence and said, you know, blah, 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 generic anti-hate speech, right? You know, nothing specific, nothing about the right-wing in, in specifics. But later on, his his comments became a lot more disturbing. Uh, this is where uh, Trump said his famous both sides comment. You know, there were good and bad people on both sides, um, indicating that he thought that there were some good people among the fascist murderers uh, and the people who were, you know, using Nazi iconography. Some of them were actually giving the fascist salute. Um, this was a real turn a real acknowledgement by Trump uh, that he appreciated uh, and really understood that some of these uh, right-wing forces that were part of his rise to power really were part of his rise to power. This was a sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge moment, uh, not unlike the um, stand-down, stand-by moment from the uh, debate that he had with Joe Biden regarding the Proud Boys. I'm going to close out this week as I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the death of a prominent right-wing figure in history. This week, I am going to Chile in the 1970s, and we're talking about Manuel Contreras. Contreras was a military leader in Chile, and he was the head of the DINA, uh, the Directorate of National Intelligence, under Pinochet. Born in 1929, uh, he entered a military school of engineers, uh, where he was later an instructor, and then went to the military academy for the general officer staff, and was later intelligence professor there. 
he was part of the Fatherland and Liberty Party under the Allende government. The Fatherland and Liberty Party is a is a particular sort of like quasi-fascist political movement uh, under the Allende government uh, that called for a lot of the things that the Pinochet government would eventually actually enact. However, Contreras became particularly important, you know, not just like as a political figure and as an intelligence professor under the Pinochet regime. Uh, under Pinochet, uh, he got to live out his dream uh, to enact Plan Condor, uh, or the Condor Plan, um, which was an international system of intelligence cooperation uh, among right-wing governments in South America. Uh, specifically, we're talking about Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, uh, but also involvement from other um, other governments as well. Um, Plan Condor was a coordinated crackdown on leftists and opposition forces by the military governments in their respective countries. Uh, specifically, it had several branches and several phases, uh, but the most important ones were that they shared information about their domestic leftist opposition, uh, that they shared intelligence when they thought that leftist opposition had moved between countries, um, that they coordinated the abduction and murder of people uh, in their countries. Uh, and also that, you know, for example, if a uh, leftist militant from Chile was found in Argentina, that the Argentine intelligence branch would murder that person uh, on behalf of Chile, or that they would take them to Chile in order for the Chileans to murder them. Uh, so Plan Condor was an extremely big part of the the violence and also the the function of the right-wing governments in South America through the 1970s and into the early 1980s. Uh, and Contreras was the main architect of this. He chaired a lot of these meetings. He was in charge of it in, in, in many capacities. Uh, Plan Condor also had several um, outshoots outside of Latin America, specifically um, he and uh, other like operatives under Plan Condor um, orchestrated and later other operatives carried out assassinations, not just uh, in neighboring countries, uh, but also in France and the United States. Specifically, this assassination in the United States of Orlando Letelier, which who was a former staff member, um, a former functionary in the uh, Allende government, uh, Letelier was assassinated in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was kind of a bridge too far, right? The United States did not like that. They were sort of OK uh, with them murdering the leftists in Latin America. But once uh, people started to be attacked in the United States and Europe, uh, they thought it was a little bit much. Uh, Pinochet agreed uh, that this was a little bit of an oversight, uh, especially that it, you know, caused the ire of the United States and the United Kingdom and France, uh, countries that they wanted to be on their good side of. Uh, so Pinochet passes over Contreras and changes the DINA to a different organization. Uh, and uh, Contreras retires from the military in 1979 while the military government of Pinochet was still in operation. Uh, so even in this relatively short period from 1973 to 1979, Contreras like really galvanizes and reorganizes uh, the Chilean intelligence branch uh, to become a murderous operation uh, coordinating with a bunch of um, national forces throughout Latin America. Contreras then went in and out of prison 
uh, after retirement and after the end of the military dictatorship in Chile uh, in the 1990s. Uh, so he was in and out of prison in the early 2000s uh, for his involvement in these uh, intelligence organizations and for their kidnappings and murders and disappearances. He attempted a turn on Pinochet uh, while he was um, under these investigations, but that did not take. Um, he died the 7th of August, 2015, while serving a 529-year total sentence uh, for his combined murders. Uh, he died of uh, kidney failure, is the assumption, although uh, apparently the hospital has not released the full record of uh, the cause of his death. So, Manuel Contreras, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you found the podcast informational, useful, helpful, please like, share, and subscribe, and leave a review on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. Uh, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. Uh, same thing, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me, you know, if I made a mistake, uh, or if you want to ask a question. And I will talk to you next week. 